The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. All right. Who's ready to talk politics? Woo! You're like, oh man, I was just here for the potluck. And you're like, oh no, what are we doing? Well, what we're doing is preaching through the book of Romans, you know? And um, as we preach through books of the Bible, we come to passages like this. It'd be really awkward if we just skipped it, because um, this, is, this is God's word to us, and we want to submit ourselves to it. Paul, in his letter to the Roman Christians, he takes up the, the topic of government here in chapter 13, which actually can feel a little bit jarring maybe to us as we've been reading through and working through um, the, the book of Romans, but it, really it shouldn't be. Even for us today, Um, if you go back to Romans 12, verse 9, and Paul instructing, like commanding Christians to abhor evil, right? Just like in our day, back in Paul's, there were some who believed that the governing authorities were perhaps included in the evil to be abhorred. They, They were concerned that the governing authorities' influence perhaps was conforming them to the world, to use the language of Paul in Romans 12, too. After all, the Roman emperor at the time was Nero, who had not yet at the time of Paul's writing this letter, but long, not long after either, would become known for hanging Christians on poles and lighting them on fire, all right? That's the kind of dude we're talking about. There was also the issue of Roman taxation, which was controversial and unjust and, and honestly abhorred by a lot of Jewish Christians. Paul himself would have understood this really well, being a former Pharisee. But here in Romans 13, Paul instructs the Christians in Rome, and and through them he instructs us today, that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. Subject to. That's that's the big idea of this text. It's right there, plain as day in verse 1. It's not that complicated, all right? It's complicated to apply, and we'll get into some of that, but it's really not that complicated to see the command that Paul gives us here. You and I... And and, and Christians everywhere are to be subject to the governing authorities. And and, in the rest of the passage, Paul, he's going to give us reasons for that and application of it. But right away, we we start to think of all kinds of of like objections and and test case, don't we? So let's get two general definitions out of the way here so we can squarely focus in on what we're talking about more. First, governing authorities. Who's that? Well, it's anyone who represents the power of the state. That's complex in America, you know, but it includes at the local level, city council members, the mayor, uh, as we learned in 2020, the the, uh, health department director, right? Or or you're like, oh gosh, are we we doing that? Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit too, right? Um, As a state, our senators, state senators, um, a governor, Our U.S. senators and representatives, the president, his cabinet officials, these are just sort of the big ones. Uh, There's also the county treasurer, the state tax commissioner, the police, the the judicial system. It's it's kind of a lot, right? Um, The second definition for us to focus on are the words from Romans 13, 1, uh, subject to. You see that there in the text? Be subject to. Notice Paul doesn't say obey. There's a different word, actually, for, for that. He says here we're to be subject to the governing authorities. That The difference will become a little bit more clear as we touch on civil disobedience here in a bit. But what I want to stress is that Paul has something different than, than rote, robotic, you know, blind sheep obedience in mind. 
Uh, As Christians, we are people who live in relationships of authority and subjection. Um, Or submission is another way to put it. Inherently, we understand that we're to live in submission to, to God and his word. I hope if you're a Christian, you understand that. But the Bible also talks about other relationships of, of authority and subjection. So in Ephesians 5.21, we're actually commanded to submit to one another within the body of Christ. It's the same word. Also in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the marriage relationship. And he says in Ephesians 5 that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And also that wives are to submit themselves to their husbands, even imperfect ones. And you're like, wait a second. It says what? Yeah, it's there. It's there, right? It's similar to the church. Hebrews 13, 17 uses the same word. Paul actually uses two words here, just to kind of draw out the distinction between the two. But he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, even if they're flawed human beings, which we all are, okay? And then here in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, so this idea is, is not unique to the relationship, uh, our relationship with the government. Uh, God calls us to living in submission in multiple spheres of our lives. And the idea is that we recognize someone's authority, their God-given authority, and, and willingly put ourselves under that authority because we have a God-given obligation to do so. And again, it's not blind, universal, leaving us you know, open to suffering abuse. But it is subjection. It is submission. And there's, there's actually not a whole lot of caveats. Like, what, what if I don't like the president? <laughs> you know? Or what if I don't agree with such and such a policy? Listen, that's kind of the point of submission. If, if what was only in mind here were people and policies that you agreed with, it wouldn't be called submission. It would be called agreement. Agree with the governing authorities over you, he'd say. Submission, though, by its very nature, includes concession. Again, it's willingly putting ourselves under someone's God-given authority because we have a God-given obligation to do so. Can we just agree that is extremely hard? And can we just agree it is, that would, that's extremely countercultural? Extremely countercultural. Even with the church, within the church, it's uncomfortable like, but if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're, maybe you're here, you're newer to, to Christianity, here's what I want you to know. This is actually how we're supposed to, even if you're here and you are a Christian, this is how we're supposed to live as Christians, right? This is how we're to live with respect to the government. So whatever you've seen on social media, whatever you've seen in the lives of people around you who profess faith in Jesus, it's different than this. If it's not this, it's not Christian. We're to be subject to the governing authorities. And the word of God is what shapes how we think about this. Okay, so ask yourself a question here. Ask yourself this. What shapes how I relate to the governing authorities? What shapes it? What has influenced you on this? We're all being shaped. We're all being formed all the time. Are we being conformed to this world and how the world thinks about governing authorities? Are we being shaped by Facebook or Instagram or, or God forbid, TikTok, right? Are, are we, is it Fox News or is it NPR? Is it the New York Times Daily Podcast or is it Twitter? Like what, or, or are we, like Paul said, 
being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the authoritative word of God. Like my, my heart here is not to, you know, like stir up a whole bunch of 2020 stuff in you or anything like that, or to tee up really controversial topics across the table at the potluck, right? But my, my heart here is, is that each of us in this room, myself included, would be transformed a little bit today by the renewing of our minds through the word of God as we think about the relationship of Christians to governing authorities. So the command, right? We are to be subject to the governing authorities. Next, the reasons, okay? And, and Paul splits these up into theological reasons and, and practical reasons. But listen, before we even tap into that, can we, just, can we just point out, can I just point out this is a command? It's a command, right? So the, the very first reason or the, the pre-reason we might say that we're to live in submission to, to governing authorities is because God says so. That's like that. And if you don't like that, you're actually going to hate Christianity, God's word is our only rule for faith and practice. It, it, it guides our lives. We live in submission to God's word. Like We believe that God's word is good. We believe that God's word is true. We believe that it is clear and sufficient and authoritative in our lives. There's a reason here that Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He doesn't say, let every person consider being subject to the governing authorities if they want to, right? It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Like, you're not free to obey it or not, not if you're a Christian. Like, this isn't a, a life hack amongst all the other available life hacks that you can scroll past if you don't think you need it. The Bible doesn't work like a curated feed on your phone full of only what you want to see and hear. No, the word of God comes to us with authority and we're to submit to it. Like the, the sermon could actually be over right now. You know, we could go eat potluck. We're not going to, just so you know. I got some more stuff here. Uh, but it could because it is, this is what God's word says. That's what we should do. That's, that ought to be honestly enough for us. But Paul, in, in the God's word and the kindness of God, also elaborates. He gives us two theological reasons and three practical ones that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. The first theological reason is this. Number one, government has been appointed by God. We see this in the second half of verse one. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Like We know, don't we, that God is the ultimate authority. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 28, at the, at the beginning of that famous Great Commissioning statement, right? he said, all authority, how much? All of it, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. What this means is that all earthly authority, whether in the family or in the church or in the government, is derived authority. It's not ultimate. The government does not possess ultimate authority. God alone does. What the government possesses is derived authority. This is why Jesus says to Pilate, when Pilate says, hey, don't you know that I have the power to either release you or crucify you? What, what did Jesus say to him? You, you would have, excuse me, sir, you would have no power at all except for that which has been given to you from above. Pilate's authority was derived. 
There's no authority except from God. And, and it says that those that exist have been instituted by God. This isn't new in the New Testament. Daniel talks about it in the Old. In Daniel chapter 2 when he prays, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. And then this, he removes kings and he sets up kings. God does. Good ones and bad. He's in charge of it all. God is sovereign over everything, including governments. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted, put in place, set up by God. Now, that doesn't mean that all governing authorities are operating in line with God's will and plan for governing authorities. They're not. And they'll be held accountable for that. They'll be held accountable for that. Just like Christian husbands who operate out of line with God's will and plan for their marriage, or pastors who operate out of line with God's will and plan for the church, will will be held accountable for that. And and yet we're called here to subject, to be subject to the governing authorities because the government has been appointed by God. Secondly, the second theological reason that Paul gives us here for submitting to governing authorities is that to resist governing authority is to resist God. Look look at verse 2, how he says, he says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. This is, again, pretty straightforward stuff. We don't need to overcomplicate. We just need to kind of put it plainly. Because God is the ultimate authority, because governing authorities, including our own, have been instituted by God to resist those authorities, in other words, to not subject yourself to them, is to resist the very thing that God has appointed. And to resist the very thing that God has appointed is, in fact, to resist God. God created government. He instituted government for good. Authority is not an inherent evil. If it were, we'd have to get rid of biblical marriage. We'd have to get rid of of biblical church leadership. We'd have to get rid of Christianity altogether and return to just being our own authority. Everybody doing whatever they want to. But that's not the way God has ordered the world to operate. To resist governing authority is to resist God. Or to put it positively, to submit to governing authority is to submit to God. Now, here's where we put up a guardrail. Okay, it's an important guardrail. Because Romans 13 is is not an an all-expansive, comprehensive, full-blown, practical theology of the relationship between the believers and the state. You got to read the rest of the Bible to get all that, right? Um, as we read the rest of the Bible in particular, we, we see Romans 13 confirmed. We read even of Jesus himself verifying the legitimacy of the Roman government. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Remember that? Right? But also Jesus add, give to God what is God's. In, in other words, there's limits. The, the government has a limited sphere of authority. All authority in heaven and on earth hasn't been given to the government. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And this is where the, the notion of, of civil disobedience kind of comes into play for us. We see it when we read about the Hebrew midwives at the time of Moses. Um, we, we see it um, in, in the prophet Daniel when he was forbidden to pray by the ruling authorities. We see it in the book of Acts when Peter and John are told to shut up about Jesus. 
right? Stop talking about him. So civil disobedience is the, the Christian duty in cases where governing authorities command something that God forbids or forbid something that God commands. When that happens, our duty is actually to disobey the governing authorities and obey God, right? And so just go back to those examples, right? Uh, kill the Hebrew babies. Not going to do it. Why? Well, that would, be to do, that would be to do something that God has forbid, murder, you know? right? Stop praying to Yahweh, Daniel. Not going to do it. Why? Well, because that is forbidding something that God has commanded. Stop talking about Jesus. <laughs> not going to do it. Why? Because Jesus has commanded, go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations. Like, go everywhere and tell everybody about me. And so if the government says, hey, stop doing that, we don't obey the government, we obey God. In other cases, even when we disagree, though, if it's not commanding us to do something that God clearly forbids or forbidding us to do something that God clearly commands, we submit ourselves. Why? Because to resist governing authority is to resist God. Now, one last thing we have to say on this as 21st century Americans um, is that we, we have the glorious blessing of living in a, a federal democratic republic, all right? That's pretty amazing. Um, we, we have a, a part to play in what or who constitutes the governing authorities of our nation. That was not the case for Paul, all right? We live in a very different governing structure. Doesn't mean the Bible doesn't apply to us, though. We just got to wrestle with how. Our, our government is, in a sense, self-government. It's also representative, like we elect people, Okay, And as a republic, the government actually sort of, in a way, derives its power from the people. We also, praise God, have a provision within our governing structure for civil protest. Where we can exercise our voice in the face of injustice. We can exercise our voice in the face of unjust laws, unjust carrying out of the law. We can also advocate for and lobby and vote for different laws and, and different governing authorities. It takes a little time, but we can do it, right? Paul's going to give us some, some applicational direction here in a bit for how to go about that. But as we seek to apply Romans 13, we, we have to acknowledge the governing authority structure that exists here, and which was also, as verse 1 tells us, it was also, as verse 1 tells us, instituted by God himself, even ours. And we're not commanded to, again, we're not commanded to rote, robotic, blind sheep obedience. We're commanded to subject ourselves to this government willingly recognize and put ourselves under the God-given authority of the government because we have a God-given obligation to do so. Well, as we keep reading, Paul gives additional reasons for this command, and they take on a little bit more of a, of a practical bent. Practical reason number one, if you resist the governing authorities, you'll incur judgment. All right, that's pretty practical. That's the second half of verse 2. Now, there, there's some debate over whether what's in mind here is God's judgment when Christ returns or instead judgment that is imposed by earthly rulers. I actually think that the context supports the earthly ruler judgment here, even though we can also say that all earthly governmental judgment foreshadows, it foreshadows God's final judgment. But when Paul goes on in verse 3, it, it seems to make clear that he's talking about the here and now. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant 
for your good. So, so Paul is, is simply saying, if you break the law, you get punished, right? It's pretty plain. It's pretty practical. We understand that, don't we? If I, if I go out and steal a car today, you know, because my truck is my truck, you know. So if I go out and steal a new car, um, it, or if I cheat on my taxes, or if I get, you know, busted for speeding or possession of drugs or drunk driving, if I assault someone, those who resist the governing authorities who break the law will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, bad, to, to good conduct, they're a terror to bad conduct. So I'm going to get a fine, I'm going to get jail time or whatever it is, aren't I? That's a practical reason for subjecting myself, subjecting ourselves to the governing authorities. And he says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do good, Paul says. Like, we all understand this. We, we all know exactly what he's talking about here. If, if you're driving down the interstate to Omaha, okay, like I did this last Thursday, driving up to Omaha, if you're, and, you, and let's just say you're, you're, you're driving down I-80 there and you got the cruise set, but you bump it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, 40 minutes is a long time to drive up there. If you can make it in 36 it's, that's going to save, save the day, you know? So if you bump it up to, you know, 78 or 82, or, or if you bump it up to 87, right? You're, you're, if you're going 87 miles an hour down I-80 and you see the state patrolman sitting in the median, what are you going to do? You're tapping those brakes, aren't you? You are getting, you are getting on the brake. Why? Because of Romans 13.3. <laughs> But you have a fear of the one in authority because you're breaking the law. That's the way it's supposed to work. And if you got that thing set at a cool 75, you see that state patrolman, you just drive on by, pray and wave at him. What's up, dude? Right? Just keep driving. Just keep. Now, if you break the law enough over time, like I did when I was younger, all right, um, you're always uncomfortable when you see a policeman. <laughs> you know, I did a lot of stupid stuff when I was younger before I became a Christian. Most of it I got away with. A couple times, by God's grace, I didn't. Um, at least twice in a bigger way. And this feeling of, of seeing the police when you, you, when you were doing a whole lot of stuff wrong, it never kind of goes away. Right? So I could be driving home now on the way from like visiting someone in the hospital, you know, after helping the elderly cross the street and rescuing a cat out of a tree and, and picking up my kid from school. And if I see a policeman, I'm like, oh, oh, oh you know, you got to use the blinker, be really careful. Why? Because there's this like, there's this like, overarching, um, outstanding, lingering Romans 13 fear of the one who's in authority from all the times that I was not carrying out good conduct but bad. Now, practical reason number two here that Paul gives us then is the governing authorities are, are God's servants for your good. Why should you subject yourself to the governing authorities? Practical reason number two, the governing authorities are God's servants for your good. This is the first part of verse four. For he is God's servant for good, for your good. Like the, the primary function of governing authorities is to restrain evil, which we'll see next, and promote good. The governing authorities, this is part of their God-given responsibility, whether they realize it or not, is to promote the common good of a society. And again, they'll be held accountable for that. This includes things like freedom and safety and dignity and equality. They're to seek the flourishing of a society and labor to that end. They're not to seek their own good or the good of just one segment of society. They have a God-given responsibility to seek everyone's good. And they do so, Romans 13 verse 4 says, 
as God's servants. Now that is a shocking statement right there. We don't typically think of governing authorities as servants of God. But right here the Bible says they are. Again, it doesn't say just the Christian ones. The Bible here says that they are servants of God. We see this notion repeated over and over in this text. Verse 1, they're instituted by God. They're appointed by God, verse 2. Here in verse 4, God's servant, and in fact it's repeated again at the end of the verse, for he is a servant of God, and verse 6 even calls them ministers of God. Shocking language that reveals a lot to us, and one of the things it reveals to us is if someone is in a position instituted by God, appointed to that position by God, if they're a servant of God and a minister of God, they are, whether they realize it or not, under the authority of God. And are therefore called to rule responsibly, rightly, justly. You remember the Lion King? You remember in the, in the Lion King when Simba says, I thought being a king meant you got to do whatever you want. How did Mufasa respond to him? There's a lot more to it than that. Way more to it than that. The, the governing authorities are God's servants for your good, and it's another reason why we are to subject ourselves to them. And then practical reason number three, uh, government has been appointed to execute justice. We see this in the rest of verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, this is a really important point and it actually connects back up with chapter 12. Okay, I don't, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you just follow in your copy of the word up a little bit, you get into, back into Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Where Paul said this in, in chapter 12, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, remember this, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now in general, we like that. You know, like chapter 12, like, mm, yeah, I like that stuff. Um, I mean, sometimes our flesh doesn't. We want to get even. We want to, we want to take matters into our own hands. But in general, we nod our head and we say, that sounds Christ-like there in chapter 12. Like we, we love the section in Romans 12 on loving our enemies. We love the section that follows our text today where Paul says, oh, no one anything except for to love them. We love that stuff. But this section right here, sometimes we struggle with. It seems to contradict what Paul says in chapter 12 in some ways. But listen, it doesn't contradict at all. It complements. It complements. The, the reason we're told to not avenge ourselves in chapter 12 and leave it to the wrath of God connects with Romans 13 verse 4 because here we read, it's not our individual responsibility to execute justice. That would create chaos in the world. Instead, God has divinely appointed servants, servants of God, it says, in positions of governing authority to execute justice. So chapter 12, we as individual Christians are not to avenge ourselves, but rather in chapter 13, the servants of God are to carry out the wrath of God on the wrongdoer. 
Are leaving it to the wrath of God back in chapter 12, or God who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, is carried out in an earthly way by governing authorities, chapter 13. It's part of how he repays. For he's a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out wrath on the wrongdoer. That's to be done justly. It's to be done fairly. And when it's not, God's wrath will still be carried out in final judgment on the perpetrator if, if he or she doesn't repent. Also, when it's not carried out fairly and justly, the governing authorities will also be held accountable for that in final judgment. He does not bear the sword in vain, it says. Sword here would include the power to inflict penalties all the way up to and including death. That's the plain reading of the word. That's what swords are for. See, in chapter 12, we find that Scripture holds a very high view of the good in, in people, Christians in particular. Or made possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But our text here, we see that Scripture also holds a very high view of evil within people. All people everywhere because we're sinful. Because of total depravity. And therefore, we're not just commanded as individuals to love our enemies, something only possible by the Holy Spirit's work in our life. God has also placed governing authorities in our world to execute justice. And Paul sums all this up then in verse 5, saying, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, which I believe stresses the three practical reasons. God's wrath is carried out by God's servants in the positions of governing authority, but also, he says, for the sake of conscience, which I believe stresses the more theological reasons. Our conscience being that part of us that knows what is right and what is wrong. It's shaped as believers by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. What's the word to submit ourselves, therefore, to the governing authorities because God's Word says so. And we know that now. Our conscience tells us that now. Like if you didn't know that, now you know that. We're to submit ourselves to the governing authorities also because government has been appointed by God. We know that now. Our conscience knows that now. And because to resist governing authority is to resist God. And we know that now. Now, let's go ahead and get uncomfortably practical. All right, you know, because Paul does. He's not done yet. There's two more verses. Did you see that? Verse six. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Mm. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Like taxes here would, would have included things like our property taxes, our income taxes. Revenue would have included things like our sales tax. We might just roll those two things together and call it taxes. All right, Paul says because of this, because of everything he's been talking about here, we pay taxes. We give to Caesar or Uncle Sam in our case. What is Uncle Sam's? Why? Because the tax collectors are ministers of God, he says. Attending to this very thing. Now, what about, what about tax dollars that get used for things that work against God's will. Have you thought about that? It gets complicated, doesn't it? What do we do then? Well, look at the text. 
Oh, it doesn't tell us, does it? In fact, if we search the rest of the Bible, it doesn't tell us either. We don't find caveats on this. You might say, listen, I don't want my tax dollars being used to pay for abortions. Neither do I. I bet Paul didn't want his tax dollars being used to support emperor worship. But they were. I bet Paul didn't want his tax dollars being used to pay the salaries of the soldiers who would eventually round up and martyr Christians. But they were. We don't have a caveat on this. Instead, we pay our taxes. They're due tomorrow, by the way. Right? Tuesday. Spoken by somebody who knows exactly when they're exactly when they're due, right? Yeah. And and here, because of the way our government is structured, right? We pay our taxes, but because of the way that our government is structured, again, you can lobby. You can rally, you can petition, you can vote, you can run for office, and we need more Christians in positions of governing authorities, servants of God, governing with a Christian conscience. We we can and must do all of that, not being passive, not not abdicating our role in society in any way, but being actively involved in the political process and politics and the governing to the extent that the Lord has given us gifts as individuals to use. We can campaign, we can advocate, we can express our voice, And then, if it doesn't go our way, we don't bum-rush the Senate chamber. We don't stand outside the state capitol like I saw some people a couple weeks ago with, with a sign threatening violence if the senators didn't vote the way they wanted them to. So we can campaign, we can advocate, we can express our voice. But if it doesn't go our way, friends, we still subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Trusting in the one who has given them authority, appointed them, made them his ministers and servants. Trusting also that he will hold them accountable for their actions. And their ruling. And their governing. So we pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and then there's two more, respect and honor. Respect and honor to whom, these might be the two toughest ones that are here. Uh, In fact, I would go so far as to say that disrespecting and dishonoring governing authorities is dangerously creeping into the category amongst Christians uh, of being unexplicitly deemed an acceptable sin. This strikes home for me, too. Um, back in COVID times, when we were masking and not masking and unmasking and masking again and masking and not masking and meeting and not meeting and masking again. Remember all that? All right. um, there was a moment when we were meeting together as a church and the state-level authorities no longer had in place the, direct health ma- the directed health measure which allowed churches to make decisions for themselves. That was in place early on. That was a policy that I I really respect Pete Ricketts, our governor at the time, for for putting in place. I think that actually was a great job of of distinguishing the authority of the government and the authority of the church, right? But there was a a time there that that was in place that allowed us to have a season where we we had one service where people who preferred masks could come and be at and one service where people who didn't prefer masks could come and be at. But then that lapsed. That that ruling, that caveat there, that policy lapsed. 
and it wasn't renewed, and things ticked up again. The old COVID dial turned orange, you know? And the local health department here, the Lancaster County one, issued a direct health measure requiring masks in all public gatherings. You remember this? Now, let me just say, I was so tired of wearing a mask. You know, um, I don't have health reasons for not wearing a mask. Some of you do, okay? Um, it, it doesn't make me feel claustrophobic. Some of you, it does. It doesn't irritate this bearded, beautiful face up here. Some of you, like, it creates chaos, right? I understand. I understand. I was just really tired of wearing it. I also had COVID twice by then. I was pretty confident in my natural immunity. And um, also, if you'll remember, the vaccine was readily available for anyone who wanted one. So anybody who wanted a vaccine could have one. And so I thought the way that the local directed health measure was written was stupid. Can I just say that? I did. I did. And listen, being subject to the governing authorities doesn't mean that you're never critical of something that they do. Like you can still disagree and and be in subjection. But I also didn't, um, I didn't subject myself to them. I didn't, I also didn't respect those making the hard decision. And so I showed up here without a mask for a week or two in that time. Some of you did too. I'm not throwing rocks. You might have better decisions, you know, better reasons for that than I did, right? Um, But also, I did not have a biblical conviction that wearing a mask was in any way preventing me from obeying God. Now, listen, I have pastor friends who led their churches under the belief that it did. That that the government was, in a way, um, commanding something that that was forbid by scriptures. That that it it was impeding our free worship of Jesus. I'll respect that. I disagreed with it. Our elder team here disagreed with that. Um... I didn't agree with them at the time. And this might be shocking to you. We're actually still friends. (laughs) Still friends with those people who I disagreed with. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. That wasn't me. I just thought that it was stupid. And one of you pulled me aside. And lovingly, gently pointed me back to Romans 13. And it wasn't my favorite experience in the world. Just, Just telling you. Wasn't. And, but I submitted that to the, to the other elders, ended up walking in repentance and wearing the mask on Sunday mornings for the next couple weeks is all it was, really, that the DHM was still um, in effect for. Did I like it? No. Do we always have to like it? No. I don't, but while we're on the topic, I don't really like paying the quarter cent sales tax for our roads either when I'm driving up 27th over there by Highway 2 and it feels like I'm on a freaking battlefield and that the axle of my truck is going to fall off. It's like, where's that quarter cent at now? Right? I don't like it. I don't like it. And, and though, here's perhaps where I need to grow the most. Respect isn't just the begrudging lack of disrespect. It's not just begrudging obedience. Respect probably means I find a different word than stupid to describe the DHM that I disagreed with. Right? I can still be critical. It's okay to disagree. Perhaps I can call it unwise, for example. Respect isn't just the absence of negative action. It also includes positive action as well. Respect would probably mean things like, I actually do what Paul commands us in 1 Timothy 2 and make sure that I'm praying for those who are making these difficult decisions in a genuine way. Not just praying for them to like, you know, stop, but praying for wisdom for the decisions that they're making to affect an entire 
city or society. To be able to say, I really disagree with that. I think it's unwise, but I'll respect you and be subject to you because you're a minister, a servant of God, and my submission to you is in fact an act of submission to God. That's Christianly. And then lastly, there's honor. Honor. And we don't really live in a culture of honor. Okay, but we do certainly live in a culture of fame and shame, which is dishonor. For example, a flag with a four-letter expletive followed by the name of the president that you didn't vote for. Okay, just so we all know, that is, that is dishonor. That is not honoring, okay? If you got that flag, don't. You need, to put, you need to put that thing away. Get rid of that. You can't have that as a Christian, can you? Can't have that. But also, spreading gossip and slander about a political candidate, that, that's not respect. That's not honor either. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people, Christians that I know, say things about our current mayor that I know are not true. That's not an endorsement, by the way. You know how I feel about the mask. I did not vote for her a couple weeks ago. All right, just not tell you who I did vote, but didn't, not that one, right? And yet we're called to honor this woman as a servant of God, as a minister of God who's been appointed to her role by God into a position instituted by God for our good. Respect to whom respect is owned. Honor who to who honor is owned. Honor the emperor, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.17 even if you don't like her, even if you didn't vote for her. You know, I don't, I don't, I bet Paul didn't like Nero. And I know he didn't vote for him. In fact, Eusebius, the early church historian, records that Paul was eventually beheaded by the order of Nero or one of his subordinates. How could Paul do that? Only by the power of Christ living in him. Why would he do that? Only out of his ultimate submission to Jesus. Who himself lived this way, didn't he? Jesus. He taught us, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. He knew, Jesus knew and understood that Pilate had no authority except for what should have been given to him and enabled him to face grave injustice, literally, he died a murderer's death even though he was completely innocent. Jesus didn't come, right, to, to create a political revolution. He came to create a spiritual one. My kingdom is not of this world, he said, which reminds us we too are citizens of heaven. And we await a day where he will return and perfectly rule and reign on earth as he does now in heaven. Perfect justice, perfect peace, perfect ruling, nothing but flourishing. We call it shalom. And while we wait, we subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Why? Out of our ultimate subjection to Jesus, our Savior and our King. How? Only by the power of Christ living in us. Let's pray. Father, there, there is a, a latent, there is a latent anarchist inside all of this. Like at some level, some part of us really wants to do whatever is right in our own mind, just like, we, just like judges. We don't like 
anyone telling us what to do. We don't like authority. And yet you direct us to present our entire lives, our entire selves as a living sacrifice to you. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so renew our minds today, Lord. Shape and form how we think about and relate to our governing authorities by your word and by your spirit. God, thank you for our governing authorities. Thank you that we don't live in a time or place where everyone did do what's right in their own eyes and just get away with it. As we pray for our governing authorities today that you would encourage them in the work that you've appointed for them to do at all levels. Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them courage? Would you guide them to rule justly and well so that we can lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, free to worship you freely, and freely to point others to you so that they would come to subject themselves to Jesus, our great and ultimate authority. We pray in his powerful and loving name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.